Welcome to QTalks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Teller. And I'm Shreya. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on QTalks, we're talking to Pierre Foutrel, one of the co-founders of Obvious AI. Pierre has a background in cultural entrepreneurship and has a master's in digital communication from Lyon Business School. Obvious use AI to create novel artworks in a range of different styles and sell them as NFTs online. Hi Pierre, thanks for joining us on the show. So to start off with, could you give us an overview of your own personal background and how um, you met the other two people you decided to found Obvious AI with? Yeah, uh, so basically we are three young guys from uh, the suburbs of Paris. Uh, we grew up together like uh, with Gauthier. Uh, our mother were our friends uh, when we were born. So there is some cool photos at the studio where we are dressed uh, like each other. So we know each other for a very, very, very long time with Gauthier. And we met uh, Hugo at the beginning of the high school. So first of all, obviously is a friendship adventure uh, because we we grew up together in this high school then we we went away for studies and and then we gathered at the end of 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 the university so uh it's a friendship story and the the story begin in the suburb in in the flat in paris after after our studies so this is about us on my personal background i'm more into uh cultural entrepreneurship I was working in the music industry. I was going to the music industry before the, being an artist. We don't have at Obvious any um, artistical uh, background in art history or in pract- art practice. We are, we are like we learn everything by ourselves. The very important part of the story, because we use AI algorithm to create art, is that in the team Hugo is his. Um, a PhD student and now he have a, a PhD in a machine learning algorithm. This helped us a lot uh, at the very beginning of Obvious because we wanted to create something and a creative project with uh, with technology and he had this uh, knowledge about how to use those algorithms and this is where the story starts basically. I think it's a great story and I love how you describe it as a, f- a friendship adventure. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of the startups that, that we talk to, the co-founders are more um, have a sort of professional working relationship, but maybe don't have that friendship backing. So that'd be really interesting to talk a little bit more about. Um, but I-, I first want to know, it's so it's a AI um, driven sort of a software that creates art. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about the technology that's behind it. So the technology behind it is machine learning algorithm. So machine learning is a very very large field of uh, of research nowadays because of the of the apparition of AI and all the big investments that appears in the sector. So you have a lot of development in a lot of directions, and but and most of them 
most of the research is open source. So people like in science, people uh, publish in, in, in science newspapers and then uh, the, the science processes appears. And so for, for AI art, basically you use AI algorithms that are available on open source and you use it with not a business oriented direction, but more on a like art oriented direction. So it's all open source and Hugo use those algorithms uh, in the research and then he, he used them in obvious. And just looking um, at that algorithm. So do you think from your like cultural entrepreneurship um, background, does it apply only to art or do you think it could be more generally applied to produce other forms of work? No, no, it has been, uh, it has, it, it's, I've been, uh, very useful in a lot of, uh, area of research, like medical science, I know, for generative adversarial networks. And, uh, there is a lot of, like, business opportunities with those algorithms. Uh, what is interesting about an art for us as an artist using AI is to talk about those subjects, but not, like, do the business. I mean, uh, there is a lot of, of very, very cool, uh, things who happen in the machine learning industry. Uh, that can be promoted with art and that's what we try to do so for example we talked about uh, how AI algorithm can be useful in the in the justice processes for uh, in Estonia uh, we talk about how we how people react to a new technology uh, so those are all machine learning driven subject but as an artist you open discussion about them and as the society is the society more group broadly, not only people who knows what is an AI algorithm, what they think about those subjects. Just to understand a bit more, so um, this is an open source platform and um, is sort of widely available for people to use, but what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome with the adoption of this technology? The challenges that you face as an AI artist are not technical, I would say, but they are more... um, uh, area related. You have to make people understand that creating with an, an algorithm do not replace artists, do not, uh, because people think, you know, about Terminator when they think about uh, artificial intelligence. So you know, you have to, as an artist, explain to people your message and make people understand that it, it's just a new tool in the end of creative people that want to talk about their society, their time with the with the tool available for them. So this is the biggest challenge that you face. We had the change with this crazy auction to be considered very early as an artist, but there is a lot of other people who are just considered that creative tech, tech, tech guys or just tech guys, and we stand for them. Um, and kind of building on that, do you think perspectives on AI-created arts have changed since you started a few years ago and yeah could you sort of tell us how you think they've developed yeah basically everything changed because of a lot of different things but because the art world acknowledged that uh, the new technologies are the tools of tomorrow's and they need to be in uh, and they need to be at the page to talk to a new generation so they be, they began to be more and more interested and also there there, there is also more and more and more uh, interesting people and creative people who do those, the type of work that, that we do and use the algorithm that we use. And so you, we, we noticed a very big difference. Another market thing happened is the NFT craziness. So NFTs are uh, smart contracts 
on the blockchain that can uh, prove the authenticity of a, a digital asset. So usually you can know as an artist, uh, monetize your digital creations. And this changed a lot also for all, because this is a, a, a revolution in the, in the support, not in the medium. And so this NFT craziness help, helped the AA art movement because uh, a lot of people were involved in NFTs as an, as AI artists from the very, very beginning, like us. Uh, we are the French, first French people to have been, to have created NFTs. So you have, uh, a revolution, first of all, in the tools that people use. Uh, and then you have a revolution with the market around those artworks. And this changed everything in four years. Fab. And just to uh, sort of clarify for those that are less familiar with the art world, maybe you can tell us just a bit more about NFTs and how how they work. NFTs are digital contracts on, uh, on the blockchain. And uh, more generally, the, the, the digital art uh, people, artists, galleries, etc., didn't have the proper art market to support their growth. And that's why it was very complicated. When you have a video, uh, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a video file on the, on the TV, it's very difficult to prove the authenticity and to not copy, that, copy them a lot of, in a lot of time when you acquire them. So this all NFT... Um, uh, craziness uh, allow the the digital art uh, to to rise, and this is what we see in the art newspaper every day uh, for one year now. That's great, and um, I I'm interested to know when we talk about the ownership of art, um, how how is that divided then between if you, if an AI has been used to create the art, who is the creator of, of the art? And that's kind of a, it's a common theme across the use of AI everywhere is who takes the ownership? Is it the AI or is it the supervisor of the AI? Nowadays, I like to, to answer this question with another question. The question is, who is the owner of, who is the creator of a photography? Uh, is it the the photographer or the camera? This is a ridiculous question because uh, you don't consider the camera as an author. Uh, but the the camera is a tool in the end of the photographer, and a good photographer is somebody who have who wants to talk about the subject, who have a night to create a proper scene, who know very very well his camera and know every uh, parameters to have the, the best shot that he can have. And he also curates between all the images that he, that he took, and then he chooses the right paper to, to, to have the best light on the, on the photo he, he took. In. So when I talk about that, you can understand that you don't think that the camera can be an author. It's exactly the same with an AI. An AI is called AI, but uh, it's it's a it's a word. Artificial intelligence is a word that appears thanks to the science fiction books like uh, the ones from Asimov, etc. But it's it's nothing intelligent, so it cannot be considered as a creator. It's just a tool that helps you to create visual. What can be interesting is to very to look deeper in the algorithm and to understand why it produces such types of images and what. Uh, how, how do we produce them? But about arts, what is important is to have a message, uh, 
to have a vision and to have a, a, an artwork to support it. And uh, an, an algorithm do not have anything of this. So this is now obviously clear that uh, an AI cannot be an, uh, an artist and cannot be uh, an author. It's just a tool, an inventive tool that you need to use to, to have a message and to promote something. Cool. And just slightly rewinding, when you're talking about NFTs, I actually just have a couple of questions related to that. So, I mean, obviously you said NFTs were really important in terms of supporting the field, but maybe before they really became a thing in the last year or two, did you ever consider like getting artists to recreate um, the work that the AI created physically and then selling that? So before NFTs were as big of a thing as they are, did you consider recreating the artwork physically and selling that? So two things. Um, uh, first of all, we created NFTs from 2018. So we are the first French people who created them and we are the uh, in the top 100 artists who, who first created NFTs. So uh, for us, NFT is just uh, a meaning. And uh, before that, we created uh, physical pieces, uh, and we, I mean, we consider NFTs as a way to 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 express ourselves and the classical paintings also. So the painting we have been famous famous for is called Edmond de Bellamy. It's a painting. It's nothing NFT. So yeah, of course, we produce the artwork that we create. We created the first series of classical portraits. Uh, Print and print and frame. We created a, a series of uh, Japanese prints. We even push further by using uh, classical Japanese techniques and traditional techniques called mokuanga, and like, like uh, Japanese prints are printed like that for hundred years. So we use the traditional techniques to do bridges between the new technology and the traditional um, traditional way of creating the subject we deal with. And we also push uh, further with uh, African masks. So we gathered a lot of African masks. We generated African masks and we um, we met with a, 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 like a workshop in the south of, uh, of the Ghana, in, in Ghana, uh, in Ghana near Accra. And so, and we created the max for real. So those are sculptures. And we are also working on classical Greek sculptures uh, for the future. So yeah, printing, and using all the types po possible of expression for us is very important. Cool. And the second question out of that was you were talking about proving authenticity, how NFTs really helped with that. And I was wondering, actually related to the AI, um, is there kind of a way of ensuring that the art it produces is unique? Is, it, is there some feature of the algorithm? Yeah, if you run the algorithm two times on the same data set, the artwork, the visual will not be the same. That's easier as that. And but also in terms of because presumably you train it with current paintings by like an artist, or as you said, like styles of like Greek sculptures or African masks. Is there a way of ensuring that it's distinct enough um, from what's already? I mean, presumably there is, but. Do you know how that kind of works of ensuring it's distinct enough from what already exists? So, for example, if you take some um, some images from Rembrandt or for the classical portraits, you know, uh, uh, the algorithm will not be good enough to 
to to like to to match the reality of Rembrandt. They will be very blurry, like a bit like Francis Bacon. So the algorithm do not have like photorealism, and even though he had hit, we will not use it because it's not that interesting in terms of of making people understand what they see. So we like to have this like blurriness and and this like uh, strange appearance to our artworks. So you cannot conf confuse them, and also you have. Uh, physicality for example if i stay on the classical portrait that we created we print them on classic on, on a canvas but printing on the canvas is not like uh, details of Rembrandt. you know uh, uh, there is like uh, up and hills on the on, on Rembrandt works there is like a way of gestures and working with the paint and you can see that on the proper canvas and you cannot see that on our work. So it's a, it's more like a reinterpretation. You don't want to match the subject. You want to open a discussion with this subject. I think this is super interesting. And maybe now is a good time to talk a bit more about the sort of algorithms that you use to bridge with using the human creativity side of things. So from my understanding, an AI algorithm, and you said that you use uh, GAN networks, the purpose of it is that it, it learns some behaviors in order to replicate it. And you have the adversarial versus the generative networks. Um, so I'm interested to understand what is it the what is it that it's considering real and fake in order to sort of create something new, if that makes sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You basically understand, understand it all. So we use GAN algorithms, generative adversarial networks. So uh, on a more meta level, you must you must understand that those algorithms uh, try to replicate the way you have, you learn about images. So they take a lot of example, find the common features in this example, and recreate new new uh, images uh, from those examples. So you can imagine that as a as a child in front of a, a, a dinosaur's book. And he understands very, very quickly what are the common rules of the di dinosaurs. They are like big animals, uh, lazardy, green, etc. If he, after three or four pages, he will, if you ask him to draw a, a dinosaur, he, he will have understand. The AI algorithm, uh, you need to use a lot, a lot of images, thousands, tens of thousands, even so hundreds of some thousands sometimes, to recreate images. After that, if we want to go deeper in the way in the way the algorithm works, it's very easy. So you have a generator and a discriminator. They they fight against each other in order in order to to create artworks. So um, you must see that as a metaphor, like of a painter, a teacher painter and his student. The generator is the student, and the master painter is the discriminator. The job of the student is to create new example that match a, a, a subject. So, for example, the teacher would say, you have to create Picasso. The teacher have all the Picasso in a book and give them to the algorithm, to, 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 the, to the student. The students see the images and create a, a first example of a new Picasso. The, he he proposed them to the, uh, to, the, to the teacher blindly. And the teacher have to make the difference between a true Picasso and a fake Picasso, a Picasso created by the by the students. So at the very beginning, the student is not very, very good, and the teacher makes the difference very easily. 
so when the discriminator uh, is in front of an image generated uh, by the the generator at the beginning of the training of the training of the algorithm so the the difference is obvious but because it gives feedbacks the the teacher gives feedbacks to the students he's getting better every time he proposes something to the teacher so after thousands of iterations the generator is good enough to fool the discriminator so the student fool his teacher and the teacher cannot make the difference between a real and a fake picasso and this is where the training stops and this is where our, our image are ready to be seen and after that as an artist you need to, to run a lot of different tests in order to have the image that you like that comparison is is really helpful in understanding how the ai is applied to artwork just um for my further clarification then where does the human creativity element step in here is it in guiding the uh, generator to perhaps give different weightings to different elements to create that final image or how does that work so the human intervention is is, is everywhere uh, first of all it begins with the choose of the subject so you have to choose a subject between the three of us and to and to imagine a collection and to imagine a message that we would want. So this is the, the first step. The second step is to gather a database. To gather a database, you need to find images that, that will match the subject you choose and you need to find thousands of images. To do so, you can take open source images online or you can uh, do partnerships with uh, rights owner of images. So you can do a partnership with the, the South of France caves, you know, the, pre, the, prehistoric, the prehistoric caves. And we did that, for example. So they give you the images for your, your database. Then you run the algorithm on the database you created. This is the third step. And this is not a linear process. You need to do a lot of back and forth between the algorithm and you. Because as a, like, like a painter in front of his canvas, you're not doing the perfect image at the very first training. You need to try some different stuff, what, see what's working and not, go back in the code, um, make something interesting, and doing that a lot. So, but at one moment, the image that you choose is going to be good enough. After that, the fourth step is to make the curation. So the algorithm can generate thousands of images uh, when, it, when you consider it ready. So after that, you need to find the images that uh, will help your message. And you have a lot of criteria. Uh, it depends on the project. And the last part is to choose the medium. This is a very important part because it's a very, very meaningful part. You need to choose because when the algorithm is ready, it will just generate you a JPEG on your computer. You need to choose how you're going to transform this JPEG in a piece of art. So if you do classical painting, you need to, to focus on classical painting. Uh, if you do a Japanese prints, you need to work on a traditional, uh, traditional way of printing. So you need, in, and you have a, basically an, an infinity of, of medium. You can do video, you can work with brands, you can uh, do video projection, you can do uh, a video on TVs, you can do a lot of different stuff. And this is an, uh, the last part. So as you can see, in those four or five parts of our artistic approach, human intervention is everywhere. Just on that, maybe a slightly weird question, but do you think that human intervention 
could actually possibly be replaced by AI, maybe not not to the same ability or like refinement, but I don't know, maybe if you had like a machine which was just data mining for similar pictures and then providing that to the GAN or something along those lines. I know you're not the technical guy necessarily, but from what you've seen so far, do you think it might be possible that AI could also do those intervention steps? Not really, to be honest. You can, you could try to automatize, automatize our artistic processes, but in the end, the first and more important subject will be, the first and more important step will be the first one, to find a subject and to find a message, and then the algorithm wouldn't do that, you know, or it would, it would be not that interesting. But most of the time, you have to be very careful about what you predict in the future you know most of the time you begin to be you, you, you end up being wrong so i would not would not say no i would so i would i don't have i do not have any crystal globe and i do not see the future at all uh, but what i can what i can do right now is that you, if you automatize everything in this type of processes the results are gonna be not that interesting interesting i think so I'm interested to know, you say that you are doing this open source at the moment. Um, do you do you have any plans to commercialize or sort of move this forwards? And what are your what are your further plans? No, no, no. We we are creative. We are like not a company, you know, you are a, a collective of artists. We are we have the chance to work and make a living from our art. And this is one of the most precious chance an artist can have. So we are very proud of that. But we are not um, focused on creating new technologies. We use it, we promote it, we talk about it, we, but we, are, we do not create it. You know, We don't have enough time to focus on a specific technology. We want to talk about everything and we want to be very open. So our job is not to create a new technology. Our job is to talk about it in creative, fun and interactive ways. And this is very, very uh, time consuming, I would say. And this is the way we like to do. So it's not, uh, we are not, con- we not consider ourselves as a startup or anything like that, even though people like to put this cap on, on our head. But, uh, we are very, very like focused on doing interesting things with AI algorithm. But this can be more broader subject that fine art. So for example, we are working for now on gastronomy and how we can change the artistic processes of a chef, uh, from the visual to the taste and not the other way around um, we are exploring a lot of different areas with our algorithm that we consider it's uh, that it's art but we are not pursuing a, a business and a new technology uh, creation i think i think that's really interesting and in some ways gives you that that extra freedom to do what you want with the technology and contribute as you say to the uh, cultural entrepreneurship so i think that's fantastic Friendship. Uh, we 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 bought this French this uh, freedom with this with this friendship, and we want to keep this freedom. You know what I mean? Like, not be stuck with investors trying to find a new technology that we will not find. This is not that interesting to us. I think that's really personal. As Shreya said, it's kind of you're focusing on your message and having fun with it, which I find. I mean, I guess it's just the most important thing. And yeah, I, I like you know, the fact that you guys are keeping it like very children, allowing it to go in the direction you want and not being dictated by external things. Um, and I think um, we'll try and end um, on that note with just one last question. 
And we would like to know what's your favorite painting by the GAN network and why? That's an interesting question. Nobody talked, nobody asked this question before. Okay, we can have by your algorithm and then also more generally. For all work, I would say two different types. On the very aesthetic part, uh, I would talk about uh, a series that we created with uh, die shots. Die shots are pictures of the microprocessor that we that we that we took and that we create a series with. And those those visuals are very 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 powerful to me because they are very flashy, very uh, uh, with like uh, para parallel forms. So I really like them. Uh, but it's only visual. And on a, on the intellectual level, they are also interesting. But this, the second artwork that I like the most is the one we sold for uh, at Christie's, who like basically started her career, made allow herself to create to create as a as a living. So we have a very very strong uh, feeling with this painting. Fantastic. Um, I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for talking to us. I think this has been really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, really appreciate your time for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. So I thought that was a really interesting conversation with Pierre, especially what I found interesting was the idea of using AI as a tool, just, just like the use of a camera and that the fact that the human is is behind the creation. Um, and I think that's a really nice way of thinking about AI more generally as well, as we're used to the use of AI in, let's say, more sort of scientific applications. But it was really interesting understanding how it could be used in the art world. Yeah, that was really interesting. And kind of on a similar note, I asked the question about whether AI could kind of possibly take over um, that process of human intervention, choosing the subject, gathering the database. Um, and his comment about AI not being able to find a message um, resonated with me um, because I, know, I kind of, um, coming into this, I was thinking, you know, like what's kind of the difference between a creativity as done by AI versus traditional human creativity. And I guess taking that, that's probably the main thing, um, the lack of a message and focus. So I actually found that comment really personal. Thanks very much again to Pierre for joining us on Q Talks. The podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech who have all been working very hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at, at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io forward slash qtalks.